about six, well, I guess about five months ago that on the invitation of a friend, my wife and my kids journeyed down to the city. You know what I'm talking about, right? The city, New Yorkers. Don't tell me Chicago, Alex. The city. Syracuse. No, just kidding. New York City. And uh, we made good time on the way down. I mean, we really did. Everyone says, oh, you know, traffic, this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, we made good time. About a mile out, I was so hungry, so thirsty, so tired, and I was so ready to get there. And I'm thinking, dude, we're only a mile away in this monster of a city. I've never been there before, don't really understand it. It's all these grids and one ways and this ways and that ways and highways and huge buildings. If you've ever been to New York City, you know what I'm talking about, right? It happened to be right before Christmas, so a ton of people are there. Uh, and our hotel happened to be right in Times Square, so we're going right into the heart. But folks, we're only a mile away. So we're almost there, right? I got the address in my GPS. I'm figuring what? A little bumper to bumper, maybe 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go a mile. That's being conservative. As my stomach continues to churn and the kids continue to get excited and they're shocked and awed and when are we eating, Dad? I'm following this friend and uh, all of a sudden I don't see this friend anymore. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I've got my GPS. I know where we're going. Right? Because all of us at the end of the day can just rely on our GPS. As long as we got the address, we know where we're going. We know where to go from here. Well, something happened that I didn't really realize until about an hour into going this mile. The GPS was not working properly. It had the address, but it had no idea really where I was, and it had no idea how to get me there. It was chaos. It was crowded. There was conflict in the car, <laughs> as you could imagine. Holy conflict, of course, but nonetheless conflict. And there was this almost defeated sense, like, why don't we just drive home? What's the point? Right? No matter what street we're down, it's one way or the cop blocks it off due to crowds. And no matter how you may even now see the hotel, I see where we're supposed to go. They're like, sorry, sir, you cannot use this road. You're going to have to loop around again. And then you're back to the GPS. Does anyone ever have anyone ever experience like that anywhere, whether it's New York City or not? It was mayhem. It was chaos. We were hungry. We were exhausted. We wanted to just drive home. And all of you are like, why would you do that? You weren't there. So don't give me that self-righteous garbage. Where do we go from here? I had no idea. I knew I was close, but I had no idea, no method of getting there. My friend had disappeared on me, and the GPS was not working. I wonder if many of us have that kind of feeling in the midst of our marriages. It's chaos. It's crowded. We've lost our way. We feel like we're close, maybe almost to a breakthrough. But at the end of the day, we're so tired and we're so hungry, quote unquote, and we're so defeated we're in the midst of conflict, whether it's needed or not. And all we want to do is just run and go home. Maybe some of you are feeling that now. You know, having a vision and a picture of a destiny brings so much hope 
strength and endurance to a marriage. Where are we going from here? Over the last six weeks, we have, I think, laid a foundation. We've talked about what marriage is twice. We talked about how to relate in the context of a marriage between husband and wife. We talked about how to deal with sin, forgiveness, and forbearance. We rooted all these things in the gospel. That is, this marriage relationship is one that represents and displays Christ's relationship with his church. We even talked about singleness, right? Sexuality. We touched on all of these foundational elements. And here we are at our last week, and I know what we're all thinking. Man, we didn't talk about this. We didn't look at this. We didn't answer that question. Yeah, fair enough. We never set out to do that. We never set out to answer every question, uh, deal with every hypothetical situation. Never set out to do that. But what we did want to do is this. Let you know what marriage is, see its purpose, how husband and wife are to relate, how to deal with sin, and how the gospel is that foundation. Then in the end, where do we go from here? And so today, we're going to conclude this series. We have one last video for you, an awesome one. And uh, we also have uh, uh, some time looking at where do we go from here. If you're wondering, where do we go from here? The wonderful news is this. God's not silent on the matter. Amen? God has spoken to us about where we go from here. He hasn't told us all the details, but he's given us, I think, a framework in which we can move forward. So let's once again turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. This, once again, we're back there. It's our third week in this text, but we're honing in on verses 25 through 28. Whether we're married or single, to be honest, theologically so, we're asking the question, where do we go from here? What is our next step as we move out of this series? Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians, verse 25 of his fifth chapter. He says directly to husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I'm going to read verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be married already, you may be single, but whatever the case may be, at some point in the process, you ask this question, what do I want in a spouse? Like if we were to paint a picture, if we were to put on display the image of, yeah, that's the kind of person, that that's the description of the person I want to give my life to. What would be some of those answers? Just quick, throw them out. It's not rhetorical, throw them out. If I have a husband, he's going to be loyal. If I have a wife, she's going to be, what's that? Faithful, right? Anybody way less spiritual? Like he's got to be six foot two. Right? He's got to have blue eyes, right? Anybody? He's got to be athletic. He's got to be funny. Yeah. No one wants, you know, some grumpy pants. You've got to have a sense of humor. Nobody wants to marry Eeyore, right? See, we have an image in our head. This is the kind of 
woman that I want to be with. This is the kind of man. And so we begin to look for that, right? There's this image in our head, in our heart, that we say, yes, I'm looking for that kind of person. Well, look at this. Verse 25 kind of begins to get at this idea of the image. There's an image that we want when it comes to a spouse. But first, before we get at that, we see there's a command that Paul gives to the husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, if you're wondering what to do in relationship to your wife, let's be clear and simple. Love her. Yeah, but love your wives. How so? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the call on the husband is in accordance with the way in which Jesus has loved his bride. The way in which Jesus has loved his church. So the call of the husband is to love his wife just like Jesus loves and gives himself up for his bride. I don't know if you are aware of this profound truth. That Jesus came into the world as God. And he did all that was necessary to reconcile a sinful people back to himself. And the way that he did that was that he gave himself to those people. And the way that he gave himself to those people is that he died for them. He hung on a cross in their place for their sins. That's how Jesus loves his bride. And that's how husbands are called to love their wives. What a profound calling that is upon the husband. Love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? What's the point of that? That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he may present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot, wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus had in his mind an image of his bride. What she could and would be because of his love. Isn't that powerful? And so Paul says to the husbands, you too are to have an image for your bride. And you're to love her toward that image. But the interesting thing is, as John Piper talks about in his book on marriage, he says so often our conception, our image that we want our spouses or our wives to conform to, our husbands to conform to, is an image that we have made for them. Tell me I'm not preaching. That we have this idea, well, this is how, speaking of my wife, this is how I want Doreen to be. This is the kind of woman she should be for me. Because it's all about me. This is how she should react if I just want to watch the Cavaliers on TV. That's the kind of image that I have of her. Do you understand? If she says, I want to decorate the house purple... We're going to have a problem because that's the raven's color, right? We just don't do that. We were at a soccer game this week. This is off the cuff. At a soccer game this week, and a, a, a neighbor said to me, who's the opposing team? I don't, I don't know. They're wearing purple, so I don't like them, you know, because I'm a Steelers fan. You get this idea. These are the preferences that we have, and as silly as it sounds, this is what we do to one another. But here's the thing, we're, we're almost there. We should have an image that we want our spouses to conform to, right? But not our own image of them. Write that down. We should have an image that we want our spouses to conform to, but not our own image of them. Let me say it differently. Your spouse does need to change, big time. And by the way, so do you. You need to change. You are not completely and holistically the person or the husband or the wife, the man or the woman that God envisions you to be yet. You're not there. And so the idea that change is desired is a good one. Change is a necessity. We all have to change. Say that to yourself. I need to change. And now look at your spouse and say, hey. You need to change. We all need to change. 
Look at that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died, because he looked at a people that he had called his own and recognized that they were not perfect, whole representatives of who he was. Opposites don't attract when it comes to God and people. And so he wants a people that are conformed to the image of his son. And so really what we are called to do in a marriage, the way forward is this. Together, we are journeying toward Christ. We're going toward Christ. That's a profound truth that we so often miss out on. In the midst of chaos and struggle and sin, we can so easily lose our destiny, get whacked out with our GPS, and just want to bail. Because these, this spouse of mine is not meeting my expectation, not making me feel fulfilled, not being the person that I think he or she should be. But what we have here is a corrective where Paul looks at husbands and wives and he says, listen, this is a representation of the relationship between Christ and the church. Therefore, as Christ has given himself and died for a people to conform them to his image, therefore your marriage is all about that. That is your hope. That is your destiny. Matter of fact, that is the only hope for your marriage that you put Christ as your destiny. That's where you're headed. That's where God is taking you to himself, to his son. So marriage is about loving and leading one another toward Christ. Amen? If this marriage relationship represents Christ in the church and Christ is giving himself to bring all of his people one day to that final place where they stand before him and they see him and therefore become like him as he is, then that's what our marriages are for. They're not about staying in love, as John Piper says. It's not about that. It's not about the butterflies in your stomach. It's about journeying together toward Christ. He is our hope. We need to put that in the forefront, the great horizon, as Tim Keller calls it. Are you tracking with me? Have you missed out on that already? Unintentionally? You see, some of us have a vision that one day we'll just be collecting seashells in Florida. Some of us have a vision that someday we won't have to deal with this anymore. We'll just have a ton of money in the bank. We'll retire. We'll have a place down south. Nobody will bother us. Is that not the American vision? And we'll make ourselves feel better about the guilt of bailing out on the world by seeing our grandkids sometime. Was that a low blow? <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to that day myself. No, I'm just kidding. We have a vision for where we're headed. But we need to look at God's plan, God's vision. And his vision for every person, single or married, is Christ. And if that's his vision for everyone, that's his vision for marriage. That's what it's all about. That's how husbands are to love their wives. That's how wives are to submit and love and respect their husband. So that in the end, we find ourselves in the face of Christ, fully conformed to his image. Right? Together toward Christ, we journey each step along the way, each step marked. By hope, the hope of Christ, the hope of eternity, right? That's what Romans 8 says, uh, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, we're, we're proclaiming Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, why? That we might present everyone mature in Christ. It's all about that. Completeness, maturity, conformity to the image of Christ. Is Christ your hope? Can I ask that question enough today? Christ is not your hope. There is no hope. No matter what you may face in the future. And as you ask that question, where do we go from here? Please, Cemented in my heart. We're going toward Christ. That's where we're going. 
that's our hope. That's our future. And I don't know about you, but that gives me such a sense of peace and freedom in the midst of the mess of family life at times. It's going to be okay. God is faithful to complete what he started in her life. God is faithful to complete what he started in my life. God is faithful to complete what he is starting in the lives of my children. We will one day get there. That's my hope. That's where we're headed. Is that your hope? Where do we go from here? That's right. We take a step toward Christ. We take a step that is marked by hope. There is hope for your life. There is hope for your marriage. Don't believe the lie from Satan or anyone else, including the own voices in your head, that would say otherwise. Because of Christ, there is always hope for your marriage. And that's where we're headed. So I want you, in your marriage, no matter where you are, what season you're in, no matter what struggle you have, to say, yeah, I'm going to take another step. I'm not going back. I'm taking another step toward Christ, marked by hope. That's where we're headed. I love Keller's quote in his book. He says, within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating. And to say, I see who God is making you. And it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. And I got glimpses of it on earth. But now, look at you. You see, we look at one another as we're aging and we say, man, you look good 20 years ago. Right? We're getting wrinkled up, fattened up. We're, we're limping. We got hair in some very odd places. We say, remember what you look like on your wedding day? Manja, right? But we see from the perspective of God that really what marriage day beauty is, it's kind of a preview of a future wedding day beauty. And it's not physical. Although in the resurrection, we will have glorious bodies. I don't know what that means, what that looks like. But we will have glorious bodies. But see, the kind of beauty that Keller's talking about and that, that Paul is referring to here about what Christ's vision is for his people is the kind of beauty that says, I knew you could be holy like me. I knew you could be blameless. I knew that we could get rid of sin. I knew that what I did was sufficient for your full redemption. And that's what marriage is. It's a looking at one another and saying, look it. Hey, I know... I know I'm like this going to glory. But man, the patience of Christ that has been worked into your heart over time. The, the holiness of God. The peace in your heart. Are you catching me? That is That it is the character and the beauty and the glory of Jesus that you now see in the presence of his very glory. Are you tracking with me? This is our hope. This is the step we take. We don't wallow in defeat. We're Christ's people headed to him. Every step, every day, even in the midst of struggle, can be marked by hope because of Christ and his will for us. But you know what? There's another important aspect that comes with this. We're talking about the end. We're laying out the vision. Yes, it's Christ. But we're not there yet. And so while each step is marked by hope, it also implicitly 
because of the journey we're on, the step-by-step nature of relationships, the difficulties we face, the rough terrain, the valley, the peak. You're getting my point. On the basis of that, on the basis of the heat and the lack of water at times, we must take each step with an unshakable commitment to our covenant. Not just hope for eternity, but because of that hope in eternity, we must have an unshakable commitment to the covenant. We must say, no matter what, I'm committed to you. No matter what, I'm committed to your change toward Christ. That's the nature of this relationship, right? We talked about that. We can't move forward in this marriage thing without an unshakable commitment to the covenant. It won't work. It's a relationship unlike any other. It's rooted in who God is. God is committed to his covenant with his people, is he not? Christ is committed, even unto death, to keeping his covenant with his people. So many of you here today feel like no one is committed to me. No one is faithful to me. No one has given themselves to me. There's no one on the basis of that that I can trust. And so there are walls around your heart. But listen to this. God is committed to his covenant with you in Christ. It is unshakable. It is unbreakable. That's the kind of God that we worship. A one that is unbreaking in his commitment to his people. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable for God to be separate from those he calls his own. And on the basis of that, we look at marriage and say, it is unthinkable, it is unimaginable for what God has made for us to even conceivably consider breaking. Right? Covenant making was intended to be lifelong. A reflection of the eternal covenant making that he made with his church. A lifelong covenant union. No matter what the struggle, right? What God has joined together, Jesus said, let man not separate. Right? And yet, sin has done such a good job in our hearts and in the hearts of others. The fallen world in which we live the pressures that marriages have, the horrific abuses and sins in the world have gone to great lengths to sever what God has united. Sin has gone to great lengths to break what God has made. And throughout this series, we have not directly spoken to the awful tragedy of divorce. And I felt like regard no matter how long it takes today, we're going to touch on this because it would be wrong for us to not at least briefly and redemptively speak to the reality of divorce in our culture, in our churches, and if we're honest in our homes. Raise your hand if someone in your family has been the victim of the sad reality of divorce. There's not many hands not up. This is a tragic reality that we have all seen and witnessed and felt the pain of. And today I just want to briefly but yet redemptively speak to this breaking that God has set up to never be broken. 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce in the United States. 40 to 50%. There's like 27 ways to figure out the divorce rate. It's actually kind of difficult. But at the end of the day, it's 40 to 50%. And in divorce. It's an epidemic. Here's three things that the scriptures teach. What God makes, 
No man has the right to break. Write that down. What God makes, no man has the right to break. It's that simple. Right? In asking Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Jesus responds, listen, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And then in verse 7, he says this, or, or they, they question him. They say, why did Moses command one uh, uh, to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. What God has joined together, let no man separate. From the beginning, it was not so. What God has... Uh, what God makes, man has no right to break. That's just, that's just God's teaching. That's God's will. And again, it's rooted in his, his, his love and his, his, his commitment to his people and how marriage represents that. And yet, the scriptures do teach that there are two permitted uh, reasons why divorce is allowed. You see, divorce is never commanded in the Bible. I just want to write that down maybe. Divorce is never commanded. But it is permitted. Because of the seriousness and, and the awful nature of sin, recognizing what it does, there are two specific permissions where divorce is allowed. Not commanded, but allowed. And so Jesus goes on in Matthew 19. He says this, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. You see, there's this understanding that sexual sin has a way of breaking covenant. Sexual sin has a way of disrupting and breaking what God has designed to never be broken. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what exactly does that mean. Does it mean pornography? Does it... The point is this. Sexual sin has a way of disrupting covenant connection. And Jesus says, except for that particular situation, no man is to divorce his wife. Number two, in the case of the unbelieving spouse desiring to leave. See, what often happens is the gospel is proclaimed is that one spouse comes to know Christ. And when there's one Christ follower in the home and not another one, there can be a disruption of life. People come to me all the time and they say, I want to get married. I'm Jewish and my, and my, and my wife is Catholic. We're okay with that. And I start to bite my fingernails. Because while money is a major reason why people break up, and they not, may not see it at the age of 22, maybe nominal in their faith, Religion, core convictions, because they, they, they say who we are. And when those core convictions are going in such opposite directions, it creates such an obstacle to oneness. And so what Paul is talking about is situations where there's one believing spouse and another that is unbelieving. He says this, verse 10 of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians, To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. That is, the covenant stands. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates... Let it be so. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And so what Paul is saying, again, not commanding. Paul is saying that if an unbelieving spouse leaves, they have permission to let him or her go. Now, there's a million and one questions you have. We don't have the time or the ability right now to deal with all the hypotheticals. And in many ways, Scripture doesn't speak directly to them. It requires wisdom and lots of prayer and counsel. 
But here's the main idea. What God makes, God has, or man has no right to break. There are uh, specific circumstances that are last resorts at the end of a very long process of trying to reconcile because of what marriage is. These are things that sin may take you there or unbelieving spouse may take you there. But understand this, what God makes, no man has the right to break. And so what we see is that divorce is, is an awful reality, and in some ways it's also a, a, a very sinful act. Because many people in our society, 40-50%, are not really living in accordance with the Scriptures. They've looked at God's design and God's will and way for marriage, and they've said, I'm not going to take that next step in commitment. I'm not going to remain committed to the covenant. I'm going to do what seems in the moment to be easy and in my own desires and my own temporary concerns and in my own preferences. And maybe because I see someone that looks better, feels better, I'm going to walk out on them and take that road. And so often what we see is that people are responding to sin with sin. And that's just a tragic reality that we all just have to look at and be honest about. But here's the wonderful hope. Because I know so many people, probably folks in this room, live with the weight and the horror and the guilt of having been through this. But I want you to know that divorce is not some special sin, if it was sin. That God's grace is not sufficient for that God's grace is not able to bring healing and hope to that situation, right? We deal with divorce as sin like any other sin. That those who turn from it and confess it to God and cry out for forgiveness and look to the cross of Jesus Christ are freed from its condemnation and guilt. And God looks at you and only sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So if you've walked through that and you're hardening up and you're pushing people away, and you're pushing God away, or you're self-justifying, then you're still in sin. <laughs> but if you're saying, I blew it, I messed up, sin got the best of me, sin got the best of my spouse, and it's caused quite a havoc in my heart. But I believe that Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus is my hope, and His grace is sufficient, and you ask for it, here's the wonderful news. God gives it to you. It's forgivable. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. So if you hear the lie of the enemy that it is, that you'll never have hope, that you'll never know intimacy, that God's not happy with you, that there, there's no way forward for you, that's a lie. Now, again, you want to talk about legitimate remarriage and all that stuff? Yes, please see a pastor. Talk this out. Pray this through. Don't just jump in to any situation. Again, because that's how we got started with this mess. Not looking at the word of God and seeing what it says. But if you've struggled and you've walked through this, please write it down. Divorce is forgivable by God. There is hope. There is redemption. There is another step forward toward Christ. And it's a commitment to the covenant. So if you're in the midst of that struggle and you're, you're wrestling, where do we go from here in a marriage? Divorce is not the option. What God makes, no man has the right to break. Here's the only option. It's the hard one, but it's the good one. Amen? I will take another step in commitment to my covenant with my spouse and commitment to the covenant with my God. I will walk each day, this day forward, until the day when I see Christ face to face with an unshakable commitment to His covenant. That's the pathway to joy, intimacy, oneness, and the pathway to holiness. Don't let any other message be heard than that. So together, toward Christ we journey. Each step marked by hope for eternity and marked by commitment to the covenant. Stay committed. 
I know commitment's a hard word in 2016. You can't get people to commit to coming to your house for dinner. How are you going to get commitment to, for people to stay in marriage for the long haul? But folks, that's not a good thing. Commitment is at the heart of God and should be at the heart of our marriages. Quickly transitioning as this continues to go on. There's one more thing that I think we often miss. Yes, we're headed toward Christ. We're hoping for eternity. We're taking each step with an unshakable commitment to the covenant. But there's one other thing that I think that we all too often miss out on. God's mission. How are we going to get there? Right in our church, we have a vision. We want to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel all over this county. We're going to plant churches. We're going to partner with churches. We are going to plant more churches. Right? How are we going to do that? Equipping Christ's people. Right? There's, there's the vision. There's the mission. We're going to equip Christ's people. We're going to present the gospel. So every marriage has a vision, but it also has a mission. And if that vision and mission are representing the vision and mission that Christ and his church has, that's what marriage should be. Right? When Jesus rose from the dead, right, he had conquered every enemy of God's. What? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The king, Jesus, said this, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, that's what marriage is all about. And that's what every step should be. A step forward in faithfulness in our mission. Marriages, you have a mission. And it is not to accumulate as many resources as you can. It is not to have as many fun experiences as you may with your family. It is not to just enjoy each other and ride off into the sunset. That is not the mission of your marriage. Your mission is the mission of the church. To make disciples. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission of the church as Matthew states it. This is the mission of marriage. This is what we are all about. We are all about the making of disciples. And I mean this with all my heart and with, with just truth, not to be a joke. We make disciples by making love. We talked about that two weeks ago. Children. That's what homes are all about. About making disciples. Living into the glory of God. It's not about passing on a legacy and an inheritance. Yes, but that legacy and inheritance is the mission of God. So many of us have missed that. Our marriages and families become so inward focused. Just like the church struggles. To be inward focused. That it's all about us. It's all about our activities and our hobbies. And our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays are so taken up with family activities that we have no time and availability for the mission of God. And you say, well, yeah, but don't I do that at home? Absolutely. Part of our family worship, our family ministry, is that raising up disciples. But I don't think that's our struggle. I don't think our struggle at home is we spend so much time discipling our kids that we can't disciple other people. Is that your struggle? Sorry, I can't make that uh, teaching this week because we have, uh, we're teaching the kids all the Levitical priesthood laws. I don't think you've had that in your head. Alex is like, we actually did that last night. So. <laughs> You're getting the point here, right? We have a vision. How are we going to get there? Commitment to the covenant, but obedience, obedience, faithfulness to our mission. Your marriage, your life is about making disciples. You say, yeah, but this is what Jesus said. You're not having a problem with me. This is what Jesus said. This is why we are still here on planet Earth, for the mission. Not for our own happiness, not for our own uh, temporal successes and accomplishments. It's about making disciples. Parents, make disciples at home. Single, make disciples at work. We're just making disciples wherever we go. That's what it's all about. 
I love what Francis Chan says. He says it simply in his book on marriage. Uh, I highly recommend at least that chapter because I, that's what I do. I read chapters of books. He says this, so what's the command? Make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words. Write it down. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on earth. This takes priority over everything else. So assuming you have not done so already, you should sit down with your spouse tonight. I love his urgency. You should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. This command should dictate everything about your life. Your marriage exists to make disciples. You don't want to stand before God at the end of your life in marriage without disciples. Restructure your life. Reprioritize. You exist to influence others. Where do we go from here? Together we journey toward Christ. Each step marked by hope for eternity. Each step marked by commitment to the covenant. Each step marked by faithfulness to our mission. You know, we're going to show the video because it's time. But I want to say one more thing. So often, I spend time with couples, get in conversation with husbands, about all of the things we're not doing right, or all the struggles we're currently having, all the things that were done 10 years ago. We get wrapped up in those things, don't we? It would seem that we should just say to those things, and I don't mean to deal lightly with them. I don't. Sometimes I think we give them too much attention. We're too much in tune with our hearts. This is how I'm feeling, sometimes a little too much. And what we, the conversations that we really need to have are like this, right? What's God calling us to do today? What's our mission today? Okay, God wants us to make disciples. At work, home, neighborhoods. If we spend our time giving ourselves to the mission, we're less in tune with our hearts. Amen? In our frustrations. We give ourselves over to what God has given himself to. The conforming of a people to the image of his son. Give yourselves to that. Let's leave the past behind us. Amen? Not trivially, not lightly, but because that's what God did when he hung on the cross. He dealt with the past. It's over. It's gone. And today has given us a mission. That we can share in together. Spiritual friendship, as Keller calls it. Journeying towards Christ. Nurturing and cherishing one another's growth in Christ. Awaiting that day where we see the beauty of Christ applied to each one of us. But each step along the way saying, hey, how can you and I fulfill the mission today? We spend, need to spend more time restructuring, reprioritizing and implementing just the simple commands of the Bible. And not get so wrapped up, and you smell weird, and you were kind of cold yesterday. We're wasting time. We're wasting time. And you know what we're doing? We're making it all about us. That's the irony of this. This was all for your marriage, present or future. But in the end, it's actually not. It's not about you, your marriage. 
It's about God and his mercy. Amen? And that's where we're headed. Let's take the focus off of our frustrations and our sins. Let's all just say, you know what? I'm a filthy, rotten punk. I sinned against you miserably. I, I admit it. Please forgive me. And then the other person say, you know what? You did. Terrible. You know what? Me too. I'm a wreck. Hey, in the midst of, imagine this. Imagine if husbands and wives sat down and looked at one another in the eye. And they said, in the midst of this journey that is full of sin, you stink and I stink. Let's just call a spade a spade. In the midst of this journey with sin and struggle, right? Let's put our hope in Jesus. Let's stay committed to our covenant. Just like God's committed to his. Let's obey the Lord. Let's make disciples today. Where do we go from here? Bethpage. Amen? I went really long on purpose. Sorry. But this is worthwhile. Watch this wonderful video from Bob and Deb Steves, a couple that I cherish and love so much, people that you love and cherish that I think embody in many ways the totality of what we've been talking about and a real fitting ending to this series. And Matt, when the video's done, you're up. Watch the the priest actually said, you know, statistically your marriage won't work. You're better off giving your baby up for adoption. <laughs> 